0: y'all. Uh, let's see here. Oh, good. We're rolling. Good evening. Hello. And welcome. Uh, hooray, hurrah once again. We take flight here uh, in the Palace of Cinematic Excellence here uh, at the American Cinematheque, the Los Feliz Three, located in the groovy hipster neighborhood where people simply don't care about others' petty bourgeois mores. <laughs> once again, welcome to the Greg Proops Film Club. Good evening, cinephiles and prooptasms. Um, it's so awesome to have you here for tonight's fantastic motion picture um for for one thing we're very excited because um we're part of the um takashi shimura festival that they're having here which is a a very beautiful thing to have because takashi shimura was one of the 20th century's most awesome actors and secondly jennifer's been wanting to show this film for a long time my wife does all the curating uh for the film club i know it's called the greg Proops film club Um, but really it's the Jennifer Film Club in a lot of ways. I think I've picked like two films in eight years and one of them was Return of the Living Dead. So you can see why I'm not allowed. In any case, she's been wanting to show this picture for a long time, and it's uh, Akira Kurosawa's 1952 classic Ikiru, and uh, we're very excited to show it tonight. Um, It's one of the few, it might be the only movie from the 50s that Kurosawa made that doesn't have Toshiro Mifuni in it. Often, uh, Mifuni and um, Shimura were teamed together, particularly in... um, Well, you'll remember The Seven Samurai and um, Throne of Blood, uh, Drunken Angel, Stray Dog, Ajimbo. He's very familiar uh, if you're a fan of Japanese film, and I presume since all y'all are sitting here on a Wednesday night um, that you are fans of Japanese film and are pretty familiar with the pictures I'm talking about. For the people who are listening to the podcast for the first time, all of the podcasts are exactly like this, and (laughs) wildly esoteric and informative with just a susan of humor so as not to put you off um <laughs> sorry that one made me laugh <laughs> i remember uh, first coming across at takashi shimura as a little kid um i'm a am a little older than you uh, by about four decades and uh thank you one person everyone else yeah we know um you're wearing a suit in a movie theater uh <laughs> I just want to prove to you that you can dress up for the gentleman in the crowd. Shirts with collars, they're so sexy. Um, uh, And uh, uh, when I was little, all the monster movies showed on TV constantly, uh, including fantastically uh, and and millions of Japanese television series like um, Tovar the Ape Man and... uh, 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 Kimba all all, all these really wild Japanese series Speed Racer um, and then of course a bunch of the monster and superhero ones as well and the first time you run into um, Mr. Shimura is usually especially in my childhood um, Godzilla Uh, where he plays the scientist who warns us all uh, that perhaps we're misunderstanding Godzilla and then fantastically he's in Mothra as well Uh, Mothra as you know uh, is going to come true again since there was a gigantic um, radiation leak in Japan some 10-15 years ago that we've all completely forgotten about and put in the memory hole and um, everybody's staring at me but there was one and uh, they don't just go away after they have one so if a gigantic Um, Caterpillar swims across the Pacific Ocean, makes its way to San Francisco, and spins a chrysalis around the Transamerica Pyramid, and then pupates and larvates and bursts forth as a gigantic she moth, and the only thing that can control it is the singing of two bizarre, out of proportion Japanese girls. You'll know how serious that accident was. (laughs) Uh, So he's in Mothra, and fantastically, uh, Ishido Honda directed almost all of the monster movies uh, that came out then, who was a, a maid of Kurosawa and worked with him and was a, worked with him as an assistant director, and then went out and struck out on his own and, and did the th- fantastic series of monster movies that he did uh, and um, Shimura is in a lot of those as well and uh, I didn't write them all down because Shimura made a Christopher Lee amount of movies that is to say so many that it's uncountable his IMDB page is like a comedy bit it rolls across the carpet and rolls out all the way around the floor he made somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 pictures and um, he's in 19 or 20 of Kurosawa's movies Uh, the master really loved him as an actor and at the beginning of the career and he started in the 30s and he ended in the 80s so his career spans a good deal of uh, the 20th century's pictures Uh, started as a stage actor of course supposedly of samurai uh, descent now mind you it's difficult to come by information by uh, about Takashi Shimura there's a very poor biography that's basically a, a list of his films And he doesn't seem to have gotten the play that everyone else did. He was awesome, often the lead uh, in pictures. And then by the 40s and 50s, he started to be a character actor in movies. And this picture in particular is an interesting Shimura picture because he is the lead. And uh, it's a very bittersweet, wonderful meditation on life. And it occurs to me, uh, Jennifer often picks movies that are unbelievably salient and to the moment. Um for instance we showed high and low last year which is a, another uh curacao picture where a businessman's son gets kidnapped and uh, we we deal with class and the police and the structure of society as do most curacao pictures and then th- this picture is about what would you do if you didn't know you had a lot of time left and you could help people which is a question that we have to ask ourselves right now uh, you didn't think it was going to get heavy but it's not um we've just uh, are in the uh you know the the 16th pole of the plague here Uh, the finish line's in sight but we're really not there yet people are still wearing masks i have one in my pocket now people are still perishing every day and because of the enormity of the situation none of us can really deal with it on a personal level as humans we have to put up that psychological wall because the overwhelming amount of uh, people perishing is too incomprehensible of a lake for us to dive into and our very survival depends on us being able to go through day to day and as they say find joy in the little things and move on Um, however this is a picture about spending your entire life embroiled in a bureaucracy and then when the moment comes when you want to find out what life is all about finding out that life is about helping other people and i believe in that firmly this show never sells nor does the other podcast uh, smartest man in the world. We don't ever sell doom and gloom because there's no reason for it in this world. I'm as cynical as the next person, and all cynics are, as you know, are, are not only failed romantics but are wildly annoying to hang out with them on long car rides, and uh, um, because our opinion is everlasting and uh, and goes on and on forever. Uh, but I don't think cynicism is that big of a sell. Uh, people will tell you that um, the world's going to get worse, that the Nazis are going to take over, that the fascists are going to win, that they have all the cards, that billionaires run the thing, that corporations do all, of a, a, all the, call all the shots and that we're just prawns in the comprehensive salad of life and that we have no say in anything, that we're, we're but a crouton floating on the ranch dressing um, down the gigantic river that the Koch brothers have brought forth to us and whatnot. And I have to believe that's not true for so many reasons one if you when i was little uh in the 60s and then in the early 70s if you told me that we were going to have a black woman vice president from san francisco and that we were going to have a black woman on the supreme court i would have gone (laughs) no um those were the nixon days you guys uh when talk about fascism winning uh and you'll say oh but things are different now um 45 was a different uh, matter than all the other uh, republican presidents that went before him he uh he was venal and corrupt and lied all the time we had nixon um he was stupid and couldn't read anything and was clumsy and idiotic we had ford um he was hideous and, and hated people and wanted them to die in giant droves we had reagan um, he was a horrible corporate warmonger who didn't care if people died in giant conflicts. We had H.W. Um, he was a pinhead who didn't know policy. We had W. So as you can see, it's all of a piece and it leads to this. Where are you going with this, Greg? I think that humanity's won. We won. Uh, democracy won in the last big presidential election. Democracy won in the last election before that. So when people peddle you this thing of, uh, everything's going to go wrong. That's a white people point of view. But aren't you white, Greg? I am from San Carlos, the whitest place on the face of the earth, home of the Plain Yogurt Festival. <laughs> Take out the fruit, the powerful taste is burning our tongues. San Carlos was so white that our Catholic school was named St. Charles. San Carlos means St. Charles, you guys. <laughs> That's how white my town was, that the idea that a Latin name would be the name of the Catholic school was too much and we had to make it French so white people would be happy. Um, Yes, white people are hateful and white people will vote for white, creepy guys. Not you guys. We're the nice people. We live in Los Feliz. There's the 30% of white guys that don't vote for fascists. And I think I've got a lot of them in the room here tonight. I'm not preaching to the choir here. What I'm saying is I just got back from North and South Dakota. I did, in Wisconsin and the South. I was in uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. IA. And there's lovely people everywhere, and there's fascists everywhere. And often they're in your family. Um, people are like, oh my God, uh, they tried to take over the Capitol and they attacked it violently. Um, and oh, there's all these people who don't believe in COVID and people who won't get vaccinated or wear masks. Um, I know, they're my cousins it's not an overwhelming majority of the country it's simply my cousins and your cousins as well and the crowd's gone quiet you can go as quiet as you fucking like but you know what your cousins are like and the dude who lives next door to them with the white unmarked van this is what america is and having said all that we can do nothing but hope um, and carry on uh, making the world better and how do you do that um, by being nice to people. Um, like, for instance, on the way over here tonight, a dude passed me on the right going 75 miles an hour and then almost ran into a Brinks truck because he was passing the Brinks truck as it was backing up. Um, really, if you're driving to Los Filos at 7 o'clock and you're going that fast, who are you zooming? Uh, You're not a player, let's be honest, and I will Ben her you into the fucking curb the next time you bullshit me like that. Human life means nothing to people here when they're in their car. You have to win every microaggression and win every stoplight. So what? You can get to your fucking shitty house and do a bong rip? What is it you're rushing to is my question, okay? Um, If your life was that important, you'd be working at the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta coming up with a cure for leukemia and not being a fucking douchebag. And the crowd goes quiet. Um, So I think that um, doing the right thing is often important. Maybe helping people out would be important. Maybe being polite. To people and encompassing them in your life uh, maybe understanding that everyone's carrying a great deal of personal pain with them all the time and that you just can't see it so that's why a lot of people act like the jerks that they do not in hollywood we have another reason um because we're completely venal here the idea that you would come to a place that's going to bestow fortune upon you and that you're laboring under that illusion every day of your life is a particular kind of malaise I'm from San Francisco, which is a city. Hollywood is not a city. It's an idea held simultaneously by a million assholes. (laughs) Which brings me to the Oscars. (laughs) No, I don't give a toss about... what happened at the oscars and all that i don't think it's for me to judge or make a a value judgment on but you're a comedian are you worried someone's going to hate you um in the comprehensive nine thousand years of my welcome comedy career um uh i've had people threaten me with pool cues with you know every manner of thing it's what happens when you're a stand-up comedian and secondly um They have this giant, uh, uh, you know, tribute that they do to the people who've passed in the year. And this year they decided to jazz it up by having people dance in front of it and have music. When I think really, uh, to not get too Zen Japanese about this... Um, when we see the people who passed that meant a lot to us in movies and all of us are movie buffs here so when you watch the the role and and it goes by and there's Jean-Paul Belmondo right and you're like oh I loved him or Betty White or whatever oh I love them they meant something to me that's not a moment when I need a lot of singing and dancing and fireworks I'll be happy to see a clip of them Um, Sidney Poitier uh, uh, left this realm and walked on Uh, in the last year and they gave him a little bit of a clip it's the time to really let's see them talk and speak and be a person one more time because as the poet said there's no such thing as death I'm in the next room there's no difference between our relationship when I was alive and when I'm gone and so I felt like they jazzed it up a lot and that kind of misses the point of reflecting on people who aren't physically in your life anymore and where are you going with this Ed Asner was left out of that presentation. Now, exactly. Ed Asner was in dozens of motion pictures. By the way, um, just because you don't remember them all doesn't mean he wasn't. And secondly, he was an enormous TV star as well as was Betty White. More than she was a movie star, she was remembered, and I think it's beautiful she was because she was a lovely person. However, I happen to know Ed Asner a little bit because I'm old and I've been in showbiz a long time, and one runs into people. And he was as kind and awesome, a generous of spirit, liberal of mind an open-minded, free-thinking individual that's ever been in show business. He was president of SAG, and I remember going to a... A sag uh, uh, rally in san francisco in the early 80s when he was president and he fantastically got up at the end we were at city hall and he got up on the lectern at asner and you remember what he looked like burly right and he had like the the sketchy hair and the big ears and the the sort of uh, face like his face was throwing a punch you know (laughs) right that charles bronson kind of pugnacious face and He got up and he went, as we were walking through the corridors of power, I couldn't help but thinking about the buildings that were built here by the blood of the worker. (laughs) And exactly. Thank you. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, to start a, a meeting, that, or a giant uh, rally that way. And having met him later on, um, one, he told me I was funny, which I wish I had been recording at the time, because that would be my outgoing message to the end of, the time, uh, end of time. When you phone me, it would be Ed Asner going, God damn it, that was fucking funny. <laughs> which is what he said to me. And um, secondly, he had a charity, and he still does, uh, the Ed Asner House, which helps children. And so he spent his life being the kind of advocate for other people that you hear about as did Sidney Poitier as did Betty White Um, there are lots of nice people in show business they don't get a lot of play uh, because we're thinking about the jerks most all of the time they make the most noise but there are lots of lovely lovely people in show business um, who do spend a good deal of time thinking of other people and that's what brings me to the the thesis of this picture which is that Um, When you're talking about how you're going to spend your life, it doesn't mean you have to spend every moment planting flowers and then pressing them and petting dogs and being nice to children and delivering baskets of cookies to your neighbors. That's just annoying. (laughs) It does mean that you might give a thought um, to what's going on in the world occasionally. And, um, you know, because L.A. is very, oh, look, there goes Jupiter. There goes Mars. Wow. (laughs) The entire universe does revolve around me. Um, There is a world outside your automobile and your life. And um, this is a picture that addresses that. Roger Ebert uh, said something when he reviewed this movie. And by the way, this falls into the category of movies where you're... um, enjoined by the movie and then impelled by the movie or compelled to uh maybe change your life like it's a wonderful life or groundhog day movies like that where you watch and you leave the theater or you know christmas carol you leave the theater and you're like huh, i should really act different and then a half an hour later you're like fuck you i'm turning right <laughs> So this is one of those movies that sort of asks you to to think about that. And this is what Roger Ebert said about it. Um, We followed Watanabe on his last journey. We're brought forcibly back to the land of the living, to cynicism and gossip. We urge the survivors to think differently to arrive at our conclusions. And that's how Kurosawa achieves his final effect. He makes us not witnesses to Watanabe's decision, but evangelists for it. I think that this is one of the few movies that might actually be able to inspire someone to lead their life a little differently. And as an artist, I don't think you can really um, expect more from an actor and or a director uh, than to ask that maybe you live your life a little differently. Because movies are after all entertainment and the cheap fault of any picture, whether it's a message movie or not, is to be boring. And you won't find this boring in any way. You'll be engaged and I hope you brought a handkerchief because yeah i don't know if you're like me but i cry at the credits of the wizard of oz because i know what's going to happen (laughs) i'm a very sensitive artist and uh i I believe that uh, it's cathartic to cry at pictures that that's what they're made to do like poetry and like music you're supposed to feel it to the core and then reflect on it later on um, before you get drunk I was in Tokyo with Jennifer um, the year before the plague started, and it was murder hot, like May, Uh, and uh, we were over there doing Nightmare Before Christmas, the live version, at a concert hall in Tokyo. So my life's been super fortunate that I got to go to Tokyo with Danny Elfman and sing with a symphony orchestra in Japan. Now, I'd never been to Japan before, and they don't tell you a lot of things before you go, like there's no garbage cans anywhere. thank you. You're supposed to carry your garbage with you and then deal with it on your own at the end of the day. (laughs) Well, no one told me that. Uh, and I'm from America and we're used to just chucking shit anywhere we go. (laughs) so we went to rehearsal and I bought a tin of soda out of the machine and everything's in a machine. And, uh, and I was like, where do I put this? And then at the end of the day, at the end of the rehearsal with the full chorus and the choir and the, uh, uh, a hundred piece orchestra, um, there were three bins taped, see-through bags, taped to a table, and they said on them in Japanese and in English, uh, a wet uh, garbage and recycle, right? And so at the end of the day, everybody put their... I went into the loo, and having been to France and uh, uh, several other countries around the world, I was aware that loos aren't always the same everywhere one goes. Uh, And I went into the loo there and it was a hole in the ground uh, with no soap or anything. And I thought, oh shit, now what do I do? I can't complain to the country of Japan that they didn't live up to my fucking Motel 6 standards. (laughs) So I had to go with the flow. Um, The uh, uh, password for the Wi-Fi at the rehearsal hall was the longest series of numbers since the atomic bomb was created it was an unbelievable series of integers that went on and on and on and it took 17 tries to get on the wi-fi and i thought are people really swinging by the concert hall rehearsal hall and like trying to skype onto the wi-fi here is that a giant issue but you can't you can't you, you have to go You're in another country You have to be respectful So we're the singers Right in the show And Because we're singers We're very sensitive of course uh, And noisy uh, And We were blowing our nose And whatnot And there was tissues So We get to the side Of the stage And there's a table And no No garbage cans anywhere every theater that you'll play in the united states there's a garbage can right next to the stage for reals the crew and for the cast and there's usually a mirror so you can look at yourself and then throw your thing in the garbage and then walk on and you know dazzle people with your reality and um thank you for the titter of laughter it is supposed to be funny but of course take it however you like Far be it from me to push the Los Velas crowd into, a, into jocularity at any point. I realize the world is a real serious place. Look, this is a block with a bookstore and a coffee shop and whatnot a movie theater. You know, live it up. Like I said, I was just in North Dakota. And if you want grim reality to come on top of you where the bison are homeless. <laughs> and um, uh, so we've, we've got our tissues and whatnot, and there's nowhere to put them. There's no bin, there's no bag, there's no anything. So we leave them on the table, like the pigs that we are, because we have to go on a stage. And then we're also talking in the wings. And because uh, we're Americans and we're um, uh, singers, I'm, I'm not, I'm a comedian, but I was singing. Uh and I don't know if you've ever worked with singers but next to dancers it sort of goes like what um potted plant dancer singer unpotted plant <laughs> member of Motley Crew you know that's sort of the the chart of evolution um so they're nattering on right we're backstage and so we've nattered on and we've left our tissues the next day at the show there is a sign and it says and it's been taped and painstakingly written in English and taped to a music stand and it says please to be quiet because you can be heard in the audience well of course someone could have come up to us and gone "Shh," and that would have done the same thing but it's japan and they're extraordinarily polite and formal so they wrote a sign painstakingly and taped it to a music stand and then there was a bag taped to the side of the table so we could put our refuse in it and again i thought to myself huh this is this is on me not on them but again you could have told me to shut up and you could have given me a bag and i would and then we would have avoided this whole situation here and i wouldn't have been uh, as as uneasy but then of course i was in a foreign country so to get to the point of this we were at rehearsal and the orchestra sawing away right and they were beautiful okay there was the tokyo symphony orchestra and they're really banging away insane percussion section and and gongs and and chimes and whatnot it's the score of the movie and um we're all singing away and uh uh, it's right toward the end we're about to do the finale of the movie and the the orchestra's pumping away and john moucheri who is the conductor who fantastically his mentor was leonard bernstein and because his mentor was leonard bernstein he tells leonard bernstein stories and refers to leonard bernstein as lenny in the stories which puts you at a complete disadvantage because you're like lenny you mean the guy who was the conductor of the new york philharmonic who wrote west side story that lenny you know lenny (laughs) um and he'd say and john's a very dignified person with white hair because he's a conductor all conductors have to have white hair and a baton right and um Uh, I've never seen him get angry. This is the most angry I've ever seen him get. He went like this to us once. (laughs) And we were like four-year-olds. We all went. (laughs) uh, And one time he remonstrated with someone. We were in New York. And someone was playing something that he didn't like. And he's normally lovely. While the orchestra's playing, he'll go, beautiful. That's beautiful music. You're doing very well. I love that. One time we were doing a rehearsal and he turned to someone and went, I've done everything to get through to you. I've waved at you, I've tried to get your attention, I wonder what it will take for you to pay attention to me. Yeah, and like you guys have gone frozen solid, all 400 of us on stage were like, <laughs> and he hadn't raised his voice in IOTA. So there we are, and we're about to get to the, and this is right before the show, We're maybe an hour and hour and something before curtain. Uh, we're on stage, orchestra's banging away, and there's a giant earthquake and so we're all sitting there in the place right now we're all from California so we know we're down with we're down and I'm from San Francisco so if you're from California and you grew up here you've probably been in a thousand earthquakes and you already know the score if you're from the Midwest the first time you go through one here you're like what and then when we go to the Midwest and there's like a tornado we're like really <laughs> like the Wizard of Oz and shit for real you live in this because you know that's people come from other cities like my my cousins would be like man it's dangerous in california there's nowhere to park and i'd be like yeah popular <laughs> go back to arkansas park wherever the fuck you like um thank you uh, uh, uh and um there's there's different kinds of earthquakes right there's this one shaky one then there's this one bang that one that's you're like what and then there's the undulating ululating one that goes this was the shaky shaky one right and so we're all sitting there and we're all from LA and we all look at each other right and the orchestra never misses a beat right the orchestra's sawing away and John is right up there conducting with his baton and I can't help but look at the lights, right? The instruments because we're in a concert hall and the instruments are gigantic. And all I can think of is Phantom of the goddamn opera, right? (laughs) Like this giant row of instruments is going to fall on us and crush us. And then the next day it'll say, Danny Elfman spared, others killed (laughs) in terrible accident in Tokyo. And uh, so the quake stops. Uh, but while the quake's going on and of course it was going on for a minute it, it seems like ever uh, but it it's probably was 30 seconds whatnot. Um, the quake's going on um, the interpreter Elizabeth is sitting behind uh, John the conductor and she's got a microphone because she has to, to interpret his English to the Japanese orchestra and while the place is shaking and I look up and the lights are shaking and everything's swaying she goes like this to us quake Like, it's an earthquake. And we're like, yeah, it's a fucking earthquake. My bowels have turned to sake. They are now warm and ready to be served. And um, then the earthquake stops. And no one says a word. This is Tokyo, right? Like here in LA, everyone would go, Fuck, there was just an earthquake. This is crazy. Should we call the fire department? You know, do we need to do a thing? Do we need to do this? Do we need to do that? Whatever. No one would do anything, but we would all ask each other if we needed to do something. Because this is California and we would all go, Oh fuck, a cavalita, there was a fucking earthquake. And then not even. Um Tokyo, no one says a word. The orchestra puts their instruments away and watches off. And I'm like, What the fuck? So I walk over to John Mocheri and I go, Maestro, did you feel the earthquake? And with his white hair, he turns and goes, What earthquake? <laughs> I give you now the movie that will remind you that there is such a thing as an earthquake and that you might be mindful of uh, your life uh, the 1952 classic by Akira Kurosawa, starring the magnificent Takashi Shimura, um, Ikiru.